Welcome to the CultureWise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. My name is Daniel Shugart, and I'm joined today by Ross Anderson and by Shane Finley. Shane came out today from Heber City. He moved to Heber City roughly 16 years ago as he discerned a calling for church planting in Utah, and specifically in Heber City, through a a various process, discerning with his family, um, coming out of Southern California, connections here in Utah, um, was able to land in Heber City to plant this church. And now he wants to share some of his experiences and stories of how Heber City has changed, how ministry in that context has changed, and what he has learned in reaching Latter-day Saints and everyone he comes in contact there. So let's jump in. Shane, tell me, tell us more about um, Heber City. What's what's it like um, population-wise? Okay. Well, Heber is a very changing area. Uh, when we moved here originally, it was uh, we called it sub um, sub rural. <laughs> it's kind of joking that it was a rural community that was kind of in transformation, and um, mm-hmm. I would say it's fully transformed into suburban at this point. Okay. Um, it uh, you know uh, had a population of roughly about seventeen thousand in the valley when we moved there, and now in the valley it's about twenty seven thousand. Um, and they're they're expecting another ten thousand in the next ten years. So um, definitely a change uh, when we moved there. Lots of farmland, and there's still farmland, but it's it's being depleted. The there's homes going in everywhere. Um, when we moved there, it was very. Uh, uh, blue collar. Most of the people we hmm. were reaching were blue collar. Um, I would say uh, now we're reaching more of the professional um, uh, people who are homeowners, um, people who uh, ha- are a little bit more established in their families than uh, originally when we moved there. We had a lot of people just starting their families, um, you know, uh, but uh yeah, it's definitely more of a professional area with still some some people trying to hang on in the economy um, and hold on to, to living in an area that um, are uh, either lower middle um, income or even lower income. So, mm-hmm. and tell me about the religious dynamics. What what is the religious context, and how has it changed over the time that you've been there? Okay. Well, uh, when we moved there, the census basically said there was 88% LDS. Um, the last census was, I think it was 82%, but I would say in the last four or five years, we've even seen that drop even more. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's below the 80% now, um, in the mid to high seventies. Um, so it's still predominantly LDS, but it's, uh, definitely changing. Uh, now obviously, if you've been ministering in LDS culture at all, you know that registered as LDS and actually living LDS lifestyle are two different things. Mm -hmm. I would say when we moved there, there was about a 50% very highly involved LDS uh, person and then another 30 or so percent that were culturally LDS but were not involved in their faith at all. Okay. Um, Now it's... You know that those numbers are just even changing as we get more transplants moving in that uh, have no LDS background at all. 
Okay. Are you finding there's a higher proportion of people who are Latter-day Saint that are active and involved? Or do you think their their activity and involvement is actually waning as Hebrew City <laughs> is changing? I would say the the people who are involved are maybe even clinging even more, are, are more involved even. Um uh, as they see things changing and they see, you know, it, it, it kind of raises their lackadaisical attitude about hmm. their faith um, okay. to be more like, hey, we better be focused on our faith here uh, as they're concerned that things are changing. Um, so those people were seeing kind of, um, I don't know, uh, holding the line maybe stronger, mm-hmm. while the people that were a little more um, uh Less, they, they were more cultural LDS. I think some of them were seeing a little bit more open to saying, "Well, maybe I don't even have to be LDS. Maybe I can. Maybe I can look at other things." Or uh, they're they're making friends with people who are not LDS, so they don't have that cultural pull like they like they did maybe ten to fifteen years ago. Even. Yeah, that's interesting, Shane. What I when you describe those changing dynamics of uh, LDS church activity, it makes me think of the. Uh, temple that they're trying to build. Yes. And it's because it's got like, um, it seems like in the news stories I read, there's a lot of opposition and uh, to the way that the church wants to do it a certain way. They want to put the lights, you know, the lights a certain way. And But a lot of people in the community are saying no to this. And so, I mean, um, is that a microcosm of like what's happening in the larger community in terms of faith and faith acceptance and, and the role of faith? Um, in the larger community, how how would you ana- analyze that? Yeah, it's funny. I pay a lot of attention to all the uh, feedback on Facebook and everything about the the new temple. And you know, had they built that temple 15 years ago, they probably it probably would just went in without any oh, really any issues. Um, but yeah, now you've got people that they don't have that background, um, and and they don't want religion. You know, a, a, they don't want a cultural center of religion in their areas. They've been taught their whole life that that's not what we're supposed to be as a country, right? Hmm. So you have people that are adamantly fighting, um, and they're kind of not realizing the the holes they're digging for themselves in the community, yeah. you know? But you also have, you know, I've had a cu- couple conversations with some of my LDS friends who are very um, empathetic towards that. They get like, hey, we, we sometimes can be not purposefully, I would say they don't think they're purposeful bullies, but they they see that sometimes it, they can be kind of cultural bullies without even meaning to be, you mm-hmm. know, um, that, that can almost, I don't want to say it in a negative way because I, I haven't felt ever that I've ever been culturally bullied, but, oh, yeah, but, sure. but I can, but there's a pressure that they see. Um, so yeah, that that's definitely kind of brought to light the changing dynamic of the area in the last fifteen years, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, one interesting thing is we actually we have a couple that's been coming, and his family is the family who donated the land. So that's oh, been an interesting okay. wow. uh, <laughs> dynamic for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. And and you've said that um, the Latter Day Saints in rural areas are in in some ways pretty different from Latter-day Saints in urban areas. And something I'm curious about is what are the things that are close on their hearts that that might be different? So the people that you interact with who are LDS, 
what are the kinds of things that they're thinking about? What are the challenges that they face as they're um, as some people are considering leaving the LDS Church? What are the what are the stress points as some people have put that term? Well, I think one of the main differences in the urban versus the um, rural LDS person that I've come in contact with is I would say the rural still hold to the values of the LDS church very strongly. Uh, the family, uh, children, um, uh, marriage, um, community, uh, they hold to those things very strongly. What they mm-hmm. don't hold to are some of the other rules that they might deem not not as valuable that mm-hmm. they you know um uh, so so you know i i i sense a lackadaisical attitude towards some of the some of the rules that i've known uh, more urban lds people i i see them hold to them stronger so when they you say what do they what's on the heart and their concern I think when they see the community changing their com, their concern is our family value is going to change are hmm. are my kids gonna um, be influenced by these outside sources where they've never had to deal with that before mm-hmm. you know um, you know even my kids you know they did great in sports in Wasatch and they they really had a great experience involved but every one of their teammates maybe with the exception of one or two others, was LDS. And so the the predominant feel of everything that was surrounded around the sport had, you know, had that um, influence. Where now, you know, you might have 20, 30 percent of the kids or even 40 percent, depending on the sport, that are not LDS. So how does that influence my kids? Mm-hmm. You know, when they're hanging out with the, at the at the sports parties and at the the different things. So I that's where I see their biggest concerns and um, the things that are hard for them. And that's one thing our church has taken a great advantage of is we we family is one of our our six core values okay. that we yeah. hold to. So we we that we use that as a way to say hey we we're with you on that we we want to have family events that that help our kids you know uh work together on things and hold hold each other accountable even in things that we would say we agree in mm-hmm. so that's really good yeah so that is something i'm curious about how has the culture around you the the rural context the lds context <laughs> how has that shaped the way that you and your church are engaging in ministry um well, the rural context um, was definitely a, an interesting thing for me to learn. I came from Southern California in a, um, the middle of the Inland Empire, um, so was used to trying to keep up with Orange County kind of yeah. influence. Yeah. Um, and ha- I had to kind of really uh, change my thinking um, to understand that. As far as how we work within all of it, um, I would say – the main thing is we seek to look through the lens of how an LDS person would see certain things that we do and how they might take offense to something that we might we might not even realize was we were seeking to be mm-hmm. offen- offensive. I came from a church, my senior pastor that I sat under when I was in Southern California would literally, from the pulpit, talk very dis- – um, in a uh, uh, almost sarcastically 
um, ignorant tone about doctrines of like the LDS church or whatever. And then you literally little stupid from the, from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he, I would never let that person preach at my church. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I came from that and we look now and say, Hey, no, we're, we're going to be very sensitive to the window, um, that the lens that they look through. And, um, I, I go through my sermons to look to see, is there anything that I could be saying that might be offensive here and I could change in such a way that I'm still getting the same truth across. We're not going to water down truth, but we're also not going to have things that might just offend need, needless, needlessly, right? The gospel is a big enough stumbling block. Mm -hmm. So so from that to how we do youth events, um, the kind of things we have at youth events, um, uh, you know, uh, Outreaching, when we do outreach, um, looking at ways that we can partner with them. Um, you know, uh, we actually do a lot of different partnerships uh, in, our, in our outreaches and things that we can uh, say, hey, look, we both agree. We, we you know, we want to help single moms in the area. We both agree on that. Let's, how can we, how can we work with the church, uh, the LDS church uh, to do that? Um, so, so yeah, we just try to look through that lens. I guess what I would say every time we we do something. Mm -hmm. Well, one okay, actually one big thing I we did, and this was just something I did personally, in a rural context versus the city, like a, a more urban context. There's a lot more opportunity for you to be involved in the overall governance of the community. Mm -hmm. um, so I right away I joined Rotary. The mm -hmm. first six months of living in the area. And so I joined Rotary and I showed very obviously that – and not just joined and went to the lunch meetings if you've ever been a part of a Rotary. I got involved. So our city runs a parade every um, – during our fair days. I – within two years, I ran that parade for four years. Mm -hmm. um, so I showed, hey, we – we, I care as a pastor um, and then thereby are also our church about not just what goes on in our church, but what goes on within this community. And then so through that, I got to know every city council member. I got to know our mayor. I got to know um, just different city representatives, different county representatives. Um, I got invited to go uh, lead the opening prayer for um, a one of the meetings of Congress because I got to know our congressman. Um, so I think there's more opportunities uh, with with pretty small investment versus in a in an urban area where you might have to really you know, try to lobby to find who to get to talk to about things where in a rural area, everybody knows each other, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so I'm running into our councilman in the grocery store and that kind of thing. And so I'm, we built that relationship. So we, we made a very obvious effort to be involved in the community and show them that we didn't just come in as a church and say, Hey, we only care about our church. We came in as a church and we said, we want to make this community a partner with us. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Community development is a lot harder to do in a, in a setting where the structure is highly structured. Mm -hmm. There's already a lot of things in place, but in a, in a rural context, I can see how there are many opportunities to get involved in some of that community development. Mm -hmm. Recently, you said that uh, your church worked through a, a vision change, rewriting and redrafting. What is the vision? What is the mission of the church? Tell me, why did you feel a need to do that? 
Well, a couple reasons. Um, one, it'd been 15 years. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Two, yeah. Um, we we knew we liked our vision, but we wanted to make sure it was really the 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 best version of what God was calling us to in order to reach our one, the one, the, the people we are pursuing. Mm-hmm. And in three, the valley was changing. So so there was kind of those three pieces that formed that. Our old vision was giving all the level. Now, when we formed that, it was, um, th- that was our vision statement. Uh, when we formed that, there was the idea that, hey, as a church, we want to be a people that gives all to love everybody as we are doing it. Well, we brought in some of our our one, our hurt LDS, former LDS person who is now part of our church, and we kind of polled them on what does this say to you or, and hmm. how does how is an ex-LDS? We didn't have any of those people to do that with when we first did this, right? That's so, true, right? So we polled them on hey, what does this tell you or what does this say to the person who's walking in? And one thing that a few of them came up with and said was, we're already coming out of a place that we had to give everything Hmm. And they stu- they 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 we feel completely depleted. We don't they, they, that might give the idea that hey, one if you if you decide you're in with this, you're gonna do it. You're gonna give everything just like you did there, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly we want that discipleship calls that, but yeah. they have a they have a twisted view of what that is. So you don't want to hit them with the negative right when they start. So because of that, we changed it. So now it's meet Jesus, live free. Okay. And and so the the mission statement is we want we wholeheartedly want all people to have an opportunity to meet Jesus, grow in a relationship with him so that they can experience living in freedom. So it's a, it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, right all of church vision statements are a we're reworking of the great commission, right? So it's the same thing, but the wording I feel like is is much better aimed at who we're seeking to reach, and I wouldn't have thought of that. I, mm-hmm. you know, when we came up with it, me and the three other core people that came up with that, we didn't we didn't think of those things. Mm-hmm. And just a minute ago, you described yourself as a person that just jumps into things and goes to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> that that may fit that vision a little better. Of hey, we're just going to give all. And yeah, let's go for it. Let's go. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a person who may be burnt by w- what people call a high demand religion mm-hmm. will feel sensitive about jumping into something that feels similar or use similar language yeah. of giving, giving everything. Well, oh, I'm, I'm burnt out. I don't have anything left to give. Mm-hmm. But the the idea of living free, like, oh, that's, that's what's refreshment to the one who's been worked too hard. Yeah. Live free. Oh, I need that. Yep. So you shared a little bit about the process. You started bringing people in who were former LDS and you pulling them, getting their ideas. What else was a part of the process of recasting the vision? So we worked um, with um, a group called um, Intentional Churches or Church IOS. I'm sure you guys have probably heard of them. Um, uh, Dave Elside with Loving Utah has helped coach us through that. So we basically went through their process where we, we bring in core people, uh, we had about 20 of us, and we just kind of look at what's right, wrong, confusing, missing <laughs> about the whole church sure. and, and walked through that. Um, and then we we made sure we brought in uh, – we had enough – once we kind of knew some of the things that we wanted to work on, we brought in some more people that had the LDS background and helped us 
really kind of formulated. And so it's about a year-long process of just every, you know, meeting once every other month for two to three hours. And then me taking some – I personally would step away and take some time in retreat to to develop stuff. Yeah, and and I'm glad you mentioned that, Shane, because just for our listeners, we're going to put the – a way to connect with intentional churches. We'll put that in the show notes beneath in case somebody says, oh man, that's exactly what we need to do right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I do recommend the process. It, it was definitely helpful for us. Mm-hmm. And tell me about this, the church plant you said, it's it's in Bridger Valley in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Tell me how how is that similar and different from the experience that you had church planting in Heber City? Um. It's it is actually very different. Um, they're actually a smaller percent LDS than we are, mm-hmm. um, in that they um, oh, I can't remember what church it is, but when they were formed, there was one of the evangelical movements moved out there and and started when that valley started. Um, so they're kind of a fifty fifty split, um, but definitely the LDS church has its um, influence there as well. Uh, we, so that was a, we adopted them as a campus. So they were Mm -hmm. a church that got started, never got any kind of momentum. Um, they, they never got to a point of thriving, you know, um, they were always surviving. And so our, and that's kind of been our vision is to help plate small communities find plate uh, the ability to thrive versus just survive. Mm -hmm. Most churches in rural areas of Utah and the, I, the tri-state area of southern Idaho, Wyoming, and and Utah, most churches in the rural areas are are surviving. Yeah, they're very rarely thriving, and so our goal as a as with campusing them is to give them an umbrella to do ministry under, to so that they can thrive. Mm-hmm. So the cultures is different in Wyoming versus um, some of the other places, but uh, it definitely. I love the campusing model because it gives them they have they have a they have a net to fall on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's very hard when you're trying to do ministry and you know, hey, I got 80 people or 70 people or 50 people and I make a decision or we make a decision as a team that to change in a way that we believe God is calling us that might grow the church but we lose 12 to 15 of those people in that tr- process. Well, how are we going to keep the doors open? Mm-hmm. Well, when you have the safety net of a, a larger campus to say, hey, you know, we're supplementing you, that gives you the freedom to kind of to keep moving forward. Um, so that's kind of why we do that. Um, and, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And is there a relationship between the everyday person at your church and the folks over at that church in Bridger? Very little. We do, we have a little. Um, so we, we have a uh, missions partner in Honduras. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we go do trips, we invite people from both campuses. So oh, cool. they go to that. Our youth all go to camp together. Um, so all of our um, uh, leaders and then the youth they all know each other. And then each, our children's ministry department works with the children's ministry leaders there to make sure they have all their resources. So 
ministry leaders have mm-hmm. interaction yeah. outside of ministry leaders. That campus is far enough away it where is, we're yeah. not, because it's about an hour and a half. Um, now, we had a campus in Camas uh, that was not able to survive COVID. Unfortunately, we had a, a, pa- a campus pastor transition about five months right before COVID. So mm-hmm. between losing the campus pastor and then COVID hitting, we just we couldn't survive it. During that time, though, that campus uh, we had going for six years, and in that time, there was a lot more interaction because that was only, that's only twenty minutes away. So we had had events that we did together. The women's did the women did events together. The men's breakfast, those kinds of things, were more together. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's really neat. And another thing we were talking about before this is the the transitions program that you've got yeah. going at your church. It's not it's not just a class. Um, but there's kind of an entire program or community built around it. Tell me about that. Um, well, so we we started the transitions uh, class uh, probably seven years ago, hmm. and we were for about three years. We just ran the class, um, and it, we couldn't really get much momentum outside of that. But since then, the last four years, uh, we have. <clears throat> Uh, kind of a system we have. We have a lady uh, who runs it, um, who has an LDS background, and she has the class once a year. But then she has a text group of about uh, about fifty people that are have have taken the class and are involved. And she picks certain Sundays, and it's about every two to three weeks they meet in one of the classrooms after services and she just invites everybody. Um, so it's kind of a more relaxed community. And sometimes she has two to three show up. Sometimes she has 12 to 14 show up of the, of the 50. And, you know, she checks in with them and she finds out what's going on. If they have questions about anything, if stuff has come up in the church or in the sermons that they're confused about, some of them don't even go to our church. Some of them are still in that phase where they're not going to walk through the doors for a service yet, but they just talk through life struggles and theological questions and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Hey, let's back up for just a second because some of our listeners have no idea. Are you talking about gender transition or or really? So if you could go back and just kind of reset a little bit for our listeners who don't um, maybe have, have not encountered the idea of we're talking about um, transitioning out of Mormonism. So you, can you just build on that just a little bit? Yeah. So first of all, we actually changed the class to faith transitions because of exactly what you said. <laughs> we we advertised it two years ago as transitions, and we had like people coming up to us and going, "What what kind of church is? This? What are you guys? Think? That's interesting. <laughs> what are you yeah, guys teaching yeah. on?" So we changed it to faith transitions, um, and we're actually tr- at least that way. Also, it helps us at least identify if there's someone else who has a different faith they're coming from, you know, we can at least identify them and try to help them some way. But, um, so the, the class and that, and Ross, you're going to have to help me on this. It's, I think it's like a eight week. Okay. Six week class that leads them through, um, just the different cultural and, um, aspects of, and theological aspects that they're going to have a struggle through. Um, so we do that once a year as a way to let the people know who have been coming that, Hey, we have a way that we can, um, you know, help you out. We also different times, you know, when we, when we have a, like we have a connection lunch. So when we have our connection lunch, we, 
we also talk about it there and you know so we don't make them wait for the whole year if they if that there's someone who has a need we we try to connect them but at outside of the class every single person that takes that class she she keeps in her her phone mm-hmm. a, as a group and that's who gets uh she reaches out to for these meetings mm-hmm and did you say that she herself is former LDS? Yeah, she's she's former LDS. She came out of the church about uh, six years ago. Well, that's some powerful fruit to see someone who has left Mormonism herself and is now turning around to reach out and be helpful to others. Yeah, she's definitely uh, um, she has a gift of teaching, and she's she's just a uh, uh, real has a great heart for for reaching people and uh and yeah and she was she was one of our families we have a few families um very rarely but we have a few families that literally one week in uh going to the ward and the next week at our church and that's very rare most of them it's a couple years of not being a part of anything or going to studies or groups every now and then um but we do have a couple that um just made the switch. Are there any other things you'd like to share about just the this the change in Hebrew City? How how that has affected the way that you're reaching folks, um, the kinds of folks that are coming, how they're connecting with the church. Yeah. So, you know, when we first started, like I said, it was eighty eight percent LDS. So we pretty much had the mindset that. You know, and also at the time, there were two little churches in the area besides us with an average attendance of about 15. They were older churches that mm-hmm. kind of had their heyday yeah. and were not uh, really reaching people. So we kind of had the mindset of, look, as far as non-LDS background people, most of them are either going to find their way to us or, you know, they're they're just not interested. Um, so we really need to aim at that dis disenchanted, disenfranchised LDS person. And that was where most of our focus was. The The valley is changing. Um, so during that time, most we were, that was all we were really reaching um, were those people. Um, and we kind of, so I, our one, the one we go after that's from the Intentional Churches book, we define it as a 35 to 45 year old male um, that comes with, with religious hurt um, is a family man um, who's afraid, almost afraid to dig in theologically. And so as a result, leaves most spiritual stuff to his wife. And so as a result, her, his wife feels very alone in in that and feels like she has the burden of trying to figure out the spiritual elements. And he just kind of has backed off spiritually. Um, that pretty much has always been who we've aimed at, mm-hmm. except it used to be he specifically had a former LDS background. So we haven't changed a huge amount in in the type of person we're aiming at just before it was very specific to the LD, LDS background. Now we're saying, hey, look, the valley is changing, and we have a lot of people who have other types of religious hurt, and we're also reaching them as well. And we've found that it really hasn't had to change much about what we do. It's just more us being – kind of aware that there's other types of there's mm-hmm. other types mm-hmm. of religious baggage that people carry, right? <laughs> right. Um so it still makes us have to be A, sensitive to not being degrading or negative towards whether it be the LDS church or whether it be different things in culture. Um 
for instance, the last election uh, was a huge. Uh, it, the last election kind of we had a church, a little bit of a church split. Um, we we refused to get political, so we had a lot of people that we did not. We were not right enough, right wing enough mm-hmm. in in our teaching and preaching, and so they went to a church that they felt more supported that. Well, we regardless of even what my views are, we we seek to take a very focused view of we're only going to offend with the gospel and everything else we're not going to we're not going to make people have to choose sides or think about where they stand on things we're going to let people we're going to let the holy spirit work with people and let the holy spirit convict people of of where they stand um on all sorts of different things and so that sometimes that that is very we have to be cautious of what we mm-hmm. say yeah. um you know and i find most of our people are supportive of that from the pulpit. The hardest part now is is getting people to understand that in their small groups, hmm. um, getting people to understand that in foyer conversation um, or lobby conversations. Um, you know, and I and we're I don't make any um, apologies for going up to people and saying, "Hey, we don't allow that." Okay, you know, mm-hmm. if they're a part of our church, you know, if they're not, if they're new to our church, I don't do that. But I, I, I we kind of have a DNA that we've established that if you're, if you are involved with our church, you know, I, our very first connection lunch, that's one of the first things we hit on. Okay, hard, yeah. like, hey, we don't, we don't get into political conversation loudly in the lobbies. We don't, you know, st- we don't say disparaging things against people because. We just we have so many people coming with different types of hurt, mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. we want to be sensitive to that. So that that's where I would say that we've we've broadened. Used to be you don't ever say anything negative about Joseph Smith, right? Um, in fact, yeah. I one time had the missionaries uh, told one someone called me from my church and said, "Hey, the missionaries were just here," and I mentioned I went to MVF Church. And they, one of them said, "Oh, well, he just he talks so negatively about Joseph Smith and blah blah." blah and he's and so I called the missionaries. Oh, okay. And really? I yeah, and I just said, "Hey, I I just need to have a conversation with you." And it was worked out being really great. I've always had good relationships with the different missionaries, and and he he said he said Shane, I it wasn't me. That was the one some guy that would come in, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I, and I told him, I said, I, I totally understand. But he said, you just need to know we work hard not to do that. Like mm-hmm. you won't ever hear me do that. So, so, so I guess that's what I'm saying is just being super sensitive. You don't have to offend to give the truth. And mm-hmm. um, I let the Holy Spirit convict on those things. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any other encouragements that you would like to share with people who are either considering ministry in rural areas or they're already involved? I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah, and I want to add one more thing to that question, a great question, and that is um, to churches maybe that are in the suburban area that maybe are investigating the idea of, oh, could we have an impact where we could help out rural churches? Yeah. And it would be interesting to me to hear like whether you ever got any help from suburban churches and what that looked like and maybe what you wished you'd had. And and so speaking to individuals, but also to churches about, um, you know, how a dynamic like that might work. Yeah. So a couple things for the person considering doing ministry in a, in the rural area. If you do ministry, we, anyone doing ministry knows we all, we are always in a glass house, right? Yeah. You do ministry in an LDS area, you're even more in a glass house. 
So you have to remember and be very cautious, I think even more so than in an urban area, to once, you know, one little offense can travel throughout the whole community. And to be very, you have to be very cautious about it. And if you're going to move to an urban area, a suburban area, and rural, sorry, if you're going to move to a rural area and do ministry with LDS people, if you're going to have an attitude of in any way, shape, or form that, oh, I'm going to get into this theological debate and and fix it, or I'm going to, or be able to, you know, win this one important person and, and do... I think you're going to be disillusioned, and you're also going to do damage to the to the gospel, maybe even. So, it, it's slow, just like it is everywhere else. But I feel like in some ways it's even slower. It's extremely relational, mm-hmm. um, and you do have to remember everybody knows everybody. So if if you say the wrong thing to one, you know they're going to hear it on the other side of the valley because yeah. the valley's just not that big, and so. Um, I'm amazed at how many people I have no idea who they are and they know who I am like <laughs> right. I and all the time um, mm-hmm. so so there's that now as far as you, how to partner um, yeah I would say even if it was just to if you find someone who's doing ministry and having maybe a little bit of success man I would think what an awesome thing to maybe vet that person a little hmm. bit make sure that they're they're in line with yourself you know, theologically, that kind of thing. I'll give you a good example. Um, I know in Morgan, there's someone doing ministry that they're seeming to have a little bit of success. Well, to me, it would be an awesome thing if three or four churches in the Valley met with met with them and, and vetted them a little bit and kind of found out like, hey, can we feel good about supporting them? And, you know, what if what if three or four churches supported that church with even $10,000 a year? I mean, that what that might be able to do to help them advance there. Um, chances are he might not be willing to come under and, and partner in a, like, hey, I'm going to be a campus of mm-hmm. one of these churches, but, but, but we can help them. You know, um, and so that's something that I think churches could do. But also, could you start a campus? Um, could you support a campus knowing it, it would be a missionary campus? See, mm-hmm. the campus model is it's the sexy model as long as everything, you know, it all works together. But both the campuses we've started, not once has it been a benefit for our campus. Mm-hmm. Um, both mm-hmm. times, it's been a 5000 to $25,000 a year just yeah. you know, hey, we're just we're just giving. Plus, a lot of our volunteers. When we had the campus, right. campus, we we gave our, they had our best our best worship leader. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they had I on modern ways. I'm Ross knows them. Uh, our their campus preacher is probably in many ways a better preacher than me. Um, so he, you know, so they they had a lot of our resources, and we had to just go, you know, hey, we we believe because of the kingdom. We want to we want to sacrifice for that because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that need to be reached, and it's sad to me that there's just not there's no option in a lot of these areas. Yeah. There's nothing happening that can you know that we where we see the gospel advancing. Now, one of the cool things about campus, I'll just say this real quick: we closed that campus, but before we started, I tried to get there's a Bible church up there that I had met with the pastor, and I said, "Hey, can we just partner with you? Could we do something to help you?" and 
because of theological differences, and he was a younger pastor just getting started, and he knew there were some people in this church that weren't going to go for it. He and I have a good relationship, but he was just like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. So I said, well, just so you know, then we're probably going to do something. He was like, yeah, great. Cool thing is we we ended up building a camp, a church, of, a campus of about 80 people. Well, when we closed, they didn't have anywhere to go. Well, they all they go there now, mm-hmm. and now they're running. They were running about twenty. Now they run about seventy five. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, the cool thing is, even with that closing, it still has kind of been able to to benefit them. So, yeah, yeah, doors open or closed in God's timing. Yeah, you never know. That's cool. If anyone's interested, I'd be happy to even point them to some places in, because I've done a lot of different study on what's going on in the rural areas and where there are some decent things happening and where there's really nothing happening and be happy to even help people look at different communities that need some, some gospel churches or even connect them to guys who are doing ministry, um, that could use some support. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're okay with it, we can drop your email address or other contact information into the, um, summary box below as well. Yeah. Be awesome. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming out today, Shane. I know it was a little bit of a drive, so I appreciate your your coming out. Yeah, thank you, man. Now, again, this is the Culture Wise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace.